Welcome to Just Go Grind. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Megan Jewett, CEO and co-founder of Uniform Teeth, an innovative orthodontics practice committed to making orthodontic care as intuitive, accessible, and high quality as possible. They use technology and design to dramatically improve the experience for patients. Let's dive in. Megan, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. With Uniform Teeth, lots to talk about. I actually have gone through a company before to get teeth aligned. I'm very aware of this issue and this problem and like the different like nuances of that. Today, like what is Uniform Teeth doing? Tell us for people who don't know. Yeah, Uniform Teeth, we're a modern orthodontic services provider. So if you need to get orthodontics done, we're amazing for that. And um, I think the cool part is like all the technology that's under the hood of the car that enables the experience and makes it really seamless and smooth. We kind of think about ourselves as kind of a one medical, but in the orthodontic space. Um, but yeah, if you've got something you want fixed, we can fix it for you. We can make sure you have straight teeth, a great bite, all those great things. You have a lot of operating experience. I've seen that before just on LinkedIn and everything else. Why start this company in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, why start everything? I It's so funny too. <laughs> in hindsight, where I don't think I realized the degree and commitment and like years and blood, sweat and tears that goes into something. So I think it was, the decision was made in so much more of a cavalier way than I think I I would at this, you know, point in time, not realizing just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, you're the ultimate responsible party. But um, yeah, how it was made. So I love healthcare. I was originally a biomedical engineer. Um, Went to healthcare consulting, got my MBA, joined uh, One Medical, which was one of the early fast movers in tech-enabled care, um, helped start an urgent care group, worked uh, and, and did a turnaround in a territory with DeVita. And every step of the journey, I've always been really focused on like making healthcare better. Um, and that can be that could be like chronic care, dialysis, urgent care, but I just love making healthcare better. And so I was at this point in my journey where, um, you know, I was looking for, well, what do I want to build or what do I want to make? I was really ready to return to startups. I just finished a really awesome and very rewarding stint at DeVita, which is a really large, very well-run healthcare group. But I was just kind of ready to get back in builder mode. And this orthodontist out of UCSF, uh, who's my co-founder, had reached out and said, hey, I've got this great idea. Dentistry's changing. The world's going digital. Um, I think we can remake orthodontics and make it better. And I got super intrigued about that. And that, that was the genesis of Uniform. So that's why we started okay. things. I want to I go to that conversation and your co-founder talking to you about starting this company <laughs> because I've talked to so many founders and like that decision to go for it with someone, I mean, it's huge. It's so big. Like what, what convinced you? What got you over the top? How those conversations go? I'm curious. You know, this is where I was laughing around like, <laughs> the the risk taking and um the the thought and I thought I did all the analysis on like the market and I really <laughs> liked him personally he's just this wonderful um individual he really is just warm hearted kind academic um you know also like a fam fabulous like surfer and can like play the guitar so just like a, just like a genuinely really cool lovely person um and like, so I thought I did all my homework and all my checks and all those things. And in hindsight, I think I, I actually am just a real risk taker. 
Um, I've done things like move to new states and new cities sight unseen. Um, I've jumped kind of head into stuff that I had no experience in. And so in some ways, I don't think this is so different for me, which was, you know, in some ways I had done the homework, but really it was an emotional decision and a gut decision. And I felt like it was the right thing to do at the right time. I got kind of emotionally just caught up in the story and the transformation. And I wanted to build something in this space. And um, I really liked him personally. So I would love to say it was this like really academic, well thought through, you know, appropriate (laughs) steps to be taking. But in the end, it was a heart choice, I think, for me. Many times too, with the big vision we have at the beginning of starting something, you can see where this can get to and how large it can get to. Mm But at the start, you don't have the resources yet. You haven't launched anything yet. It's just an idea. Mm-hmm. What was kind of the first iteration of this to test it or to figure out this was going to be a thing? Oh, totally. I mean, we were definitely doing kind of a prototype mode to start, which was... So what we have, just to provide some context, is um, we're providing orthodontic services and we've got this technology to kind of enable the experience. And then we're really focused on a great patient experience. So... If you're a patient, you might be um, coming in and um, doing like an initial assessment, but then we're interacting a lot through our mobile app. We're um, streamlining through our medical record. We're getting you in for a couple of visits, even if you're doing really complex work and you're on your way with a beautiful smile. So it should feel very seamless. It should feel really delightful, um, really easy and just very modern and fresh. And so we started with you know, a rented space. It wasn't, it was like a breather, which was like a temporary office rental. And that was like where we set up a prototype clinic. And then like our small team, which was like a couple of engineers and like software engineers and like myself and like some one person on CSS, we're all like in sharing the back break room. And, you know, we were on site and you know, Shell, who's my co-founder, was seeing patients. And sometimes if somebody called out, I was helping and assisting in the appointments. Like it was just, you know, eight people <laughs> sharing a couple of rooms, seeing if we could provide care in this novel and different way. And so it was very, very hands-on. Like I definitely answered all the support tickets to start, which it's always funny when you have someone who's like not so happy and they're like, I want to speak to the manager. And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> let's have that conversation, shall we? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, we really want to make you happy. (laughs) How do we do that here? So, yeah. With that too, in those early days, how are you getting the first few people in? I mean, it's always so hard to start, especially in something like this. How are you getting those first few people? Yeah. I mean, I think especially for a first time with a company, actually, like now I feel like it would be so easy knowing what we know now and, um, we'd be much more adept at getting press or driving initial marketing or getting that first contractor so we could drive volume. But at the time it was super scrappy, like our friends and family, word of mouth, you know, posting on next door, shamelessly talking to people at the coffee (laughs) shop. It was very, very scrappy. And, you know, making our first marketing hire was a big deal. And like, so I would say like, yeah, the initial customers, it was like our friends, our family, like everyone's got beautiful teeth now. Everyone has a stunning smile because we've just gone through our personal networks and that was the <laughs> initial seed to get things launched. So, yeah. 
with with that too, did you always think it was going to be a venture backed business? That was the scale you wanted to get to. You were going to have to raise funds in that way. There's obviously many ways to go about raising capital. Talk to people on both sides. I'm at a venture firm, so there's always that. But that's a small percentage of people. You ended up going that route. I'm just curious. Was that always part of the plan? Yeah, it's such a good question, Justin. It was part of the plan. I think in hindsight, I think in hindsight, I'd be curious to do more bootstrapping for like a future company initially, and then yeah. taking like capital a little later, um, just for ownership and dilution and those types of things. We're lucky to have fantastic investors. So thankfully we don't have any issues there. Like they're amazing. I recommend them to anyone um, and, and do on the regular. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I just think like, you know, during especially that initial testing and iteration phase, um, it, it would not be like, I think in the future, I'll probably just bootstrap it just so we can test and learn really quickly and without some of that overhead, actually. And then, you know, if we say, hey, this is going to be really big, let's let's do venture, then like just raise the funds to go for it at that point. I'm so, glad you bring yeah. it up because it's definitely a thought that Especially because in the media, you see all these people, if you follow anything startups, you see all these companies raising constantly, it seems like, and the other side of the story isn't really told as much on the bootstrapping side and people who are, you know, it's not always possible, obviously, to bootstrap and every company shouldn't be bootstrapped or go that route. But a lot of companies can either bootstrap such debt, go the debt route and actually mm -hmm. be better off, especially what you mentioned. I think Gail and our team at Vitalize just mentioned this around um, ownership, the exact thing you're, you're saying. Mm -hmm. like we've, we've seen founders come through where they even in like a seed round or even like a seed rounder ish, they already have given up so much of their company. It's just a mess in their cap table. So it's like founders need to think about that when they're going through this and how much capital it's going to take for them to get to where they want to get to. And on that point, because you brought up the investors, raised somewhere around $14 million, founders fund being one of them. There's a lot of great investors on there. How is that fundraising process for you with this type of business model? I'm curious. Yeah, we're, we're actually um, in the 30s, just as an FYI, but um, which I... So we're a little later, but we do have a number of locations and locations in the works. I mean, I think if someone wants to do a tech-enabled business with a brick-and-mortar component, you better really love that because it does make raising harder. And yes, um, there will be a lot of questions on your capital efficiency, on your ability to grow and grow quickly, um, on your ability to execute payback periods. And I also think you get examined much more... Uh, rigorously, because some of your investors will be more comfortable with kind of a PE mentality around like brick and mortar, mortar and unit performance than would be common, yep. you know, common as early on. Um, and certainly when I talked with peers or other CEOs early on fundraising, um, I just noticed like a round or two earlier, I had to speak in some pretty specific detail around our unit economics and performance that, you know, if you're a software business with a subscription, you know, recurring revenue situation, <laughs> uh, you can you can be quite a bit more visionary and I think hand wavy and, and for good reason. I mean, it is a much yeah. more capital efficient business to be in. So yeah, I mean, these businesses are being built all the time. There's a huge wave right now, which I'm sure uh, your listeners probably are very familiar with around like tech enabled services businesses, whether it's like veterinary care or fertility or behavioral health. I mean, the list goes on. So we're certainly on trend. But 
I mean, it is certainly harder to raise than than other businesses, is my belief anyways. It's funny you mentioned those. I've, I think I've interviewed people in every category that you mentioned with those different tech oh, really? kind of service business. Yeah. I'm already thinking of like Fuzzy being one of them. I think of Takashi, yeah. all these different ones. Yeah. There's a lot of them that are, are doing that exact thing. For you guys too, did you, I know there's different options out there in terms of uh, orthodontics and people are going the kind of go to the office a couple of times versus no office uh-huh. at all. And there's this full spectrum. Take me mm. through that decision for what you wanted to do in terms of that. Yeah. Well, it's funny right now, like the timing of this interview is very specific because we're seeing some of these large direct-to-consumer, no-visit-necessary groups actually pivoting out of that business. So I would say like our underlying thesis was always that, you know, there is a need for quality orthodontic care that is um, modern, that's accessible, that's a great experience, that's not so cumbersome to to receive or experience. Like that is like that is true. Like, none of us wanted, I guess the acid test is none of us would ever have done the orthodontics we had as teenagers ever again. You know, like there's just no way. So we, we thought there's absolutely this need here. Um, and we also saw as we were starting things like a heavy move towards direct to consumer, which for folks that are less familiar is just where you might do a bite mold or go in for a scan, you get a set of aligners in the mail and you self-treat. And I think what's interesting, and, and our view was that would always serve just a small fraction of the market, um, which it appears to have borne out actually. It's just really, they, those companies have grown a lot, but they really only serve a very, very small percentage of the market. I think something like 5% combined, although I would need to double check the stats there. Um, and the reason for that is you can only move teeth in a couple directions with just aligners. What's not widely known is you actually need things like attachments or interproximal reduction, or you know sometimes it's like elastics or other things to really get aligners to move your teeth the way braces do. And you can only get that done by a licensed clinician. So they're only going to be pretty. They're only going to be good for simple stuff in the scheme of things. Um, and then on top of that, there are legitimate dental health um, checks that are done before getting treated with orthodontics, which um, I'm, t- I'm the type of person that's so ironic. I go like two years without getting a dental cleaning, which is like a total no-no, obviously. Um, so like, I'm totally the type of person who will just be like, I do what I want. I ignore those warnings. Um, and I, and I empathize with that mentality. I would counsel folks to be, to be careful about it because we do see patients every day that if we move their teeth, they would lose a tooth. They might have some permanent, you know, they might need a, a gum graft. I mean, if you actually have stuff going on in your mouth, it can be a pretty big deal. Um, and at the same time, I totally understand where folks come from. But these two things are real limitations of that model. And we're seeing that in the market right now with, um, you know, the certain public players, not maybe having down revenue or other other groups pivoting outside of the direct-to-consumer space. It's a hard model to make work. I just want to say, I, I feel seen <laughs> because on my calendar right now, it says schedule a dentist appointment literally this week. And I haven't had one in a couple of years. And my mom, if she's listening, will, will probably call me again to remind me to get a dentist appointment. But I understand that people do that. And so the value of that is definitely there. Megan, I'm curious... You mentioned in the early days, family, you know, friends of yours, anyone you talk to at coffee shops, the first people, you've grown to multiple locations, raised tens of millions of dollars. What has fueled that growth in the last you know, few years here? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really like as we build and open new locations, like we can drive more patients. So it's kind of a if we build it, they will come situation, which is a little different than other businesses that um, might have like, you know, a different product market fit situation. But the reality is with services, like people need these services, you're just designing a better mousetrap within existing markets where people are already used to purchasing orthodontic care. And now it's just a better, easier, more pleasant, you know, faster way of receiving that care, basically. So I think for us, it's really just opening up new locations and figuring out ways to grow as quickly as we can um, to make that happen. I have to dive deeper because I'm in the marketing and growth <laughs> side. So I'm always curious. I mean, is it, I mean, is it spurring referrals? Is it uh, paid acquisition? Like tactically, yeah. whatever you can share. I'm always curious as to how companies end up growing. Yeah. Oh, so totally. Sorry. I uh, uh, We could absolutely go a little a level or two deeper. That fair question. Sure. Um, so when we open a new market, often there are a number of things to do. And I would say we're still relatively early on our journey. So we're getting more sophisticated and better continuously. And we've got, you know, a long way to go to just nail our, our playbook when we open a new location. But examples are like often seeding with paid marketing. Um, one of our biggest channels is actually friends and family word of mouth referrals. It's one of our absolute top channels. And so for us, it's often building enough volume and awareness so we can really tap into that referral engine. And that, that, gives us a really lasting benefit. So what we want to do is get up that acquisition curve as quickly as possible to to basically being kind of what we consider full capacity. Um, and then we start to see things that are really helpful, like friends and family referrals, and then also dentist referrals in the community to us. And we refer to them for patients who have, you know, as you mentioned, they need their cleanings, they need their, <laughs> you know, their cavities to be filled, like other things that just come up when people are seeking a beautiful smile. Um, we want to help them have great whole dental health as part of that process. Um, so the paid marketing is really important. It's an important layer, but it ultimately shouldn't be the dominant engine for a business. Um, that's where, you know, if it is, then it actually becomes a really inefficient business. So for us, it's a lot about how quickly can we move to driving organic awareness and channels as quickly as possible when we open a new location. It's interesting you mentioned that. I think because the things we're working on right now, like at, at Vitalize, we're at the venture firm, we have an angel investing community called Vitalize Angels. And like we're thinking about growth for that community and anyone can join because mm -hmm. it's open non-accredited. And we're thinking of that referral engine now that's mud I've been building is trying to figure out the referral engine for that because especially in that type of thing, like, yeah, everyone, if they have the experience of it. They experience uniform teeth and they have a great experience. Obviously, they're going to be a very powerful driver of other people learning about it. So it's like, how do you facilitate that and continue to find different interesting ways, incentivize them to do that. We think the same thing with our community. And yeah. I'm curious too, with with the things you've done, with the growth as, as we kind of have talked about and with the complexities of physical locations, as well as the tech mm -hmm. side of it, what you're doing, how has the hiring side of it been? Because hiring is already automatically hard regardless in any tech company and tech talent, but it's like a mix of tech and like in-person. How has that been for you? Um, well, I think we're very fortunate to have an amazing head of people who started out by being our senior director of recruiting and is now our VP of people. Um, but I, what, what an incredible person to have on your team, because as you said, it is a lot of work to hire for these different positions. And some of the positions like 
hiring for an orthodontist is very different than hiring for a software engineer is very different than hiring for uh, orthodontic assistant and or customer support for that matter. Um, you know, I, I wish she was on this interview because I'm sure she would have a lot of really <laughs> thoughtful and pointed things to say about this. Um, but my, I would say like the set of tools we use and the principles we follow, which is, you know, good sourcing, good outreach, great candidate experience, all of those things are very universal. Um, and the, we, so maybe just to tell you a story. So one of the things that I got yeah. questions from, from our investors early on was, how are you possibly going to be able to recruit clinicians? Like, how are you going to be able to recruit orthodontists? This is impossible. <laughs> like, it's going to be this gate to growth. And the ironic thing is, um, and we have incredible clinicians on our team, but we were able to do that. And in some cases, they're, they're, they're finding an incredible clinician is so important, but they're not even our most difficult hire. Like, they're a and in case any of our orthodontists are listening, they're a precious and extremely important hire <laughs> that we have to spend a lot of time making Absolutely. in a really thoughtful way. There's no question, but um, we were we thought that was going to be this huge issue, and it turned out thoughtful outreach, great sourcing, like doing maybe some university presentations to develop your pipeline early, like all of those things work just fine. But we also have stuff to do to level up our employer brand, to level up, you know, like. I think right now our focus is we want more inbound and we're having to drive a lot of hires through sourcing. And that is, that is a challenge to scale. So that's, so maybe to answer your question a slightly different way is we've been very effective recruiting for our current scale, um, following like standard best practices, but to really take it up a level, it's really more about leveling up our brand as an employer and making sure that's exciting and appealing and people are aware of us as well. Yeah. Building the place that attracts people to you where mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, they want to go join Uniform Teeth because they're amazing. <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. are, but like even making sure people know that already. Um, yeah, I can't, totally. I, I can't pass over what you, what you said though. You're like, they're not even our most difficult hire. What's your most difficult hire? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Where do I start with that? It is such a competitive talent market right now. It's insane. Um, yes, Megan. <laughs> it's so challenging. I mean, so we've been looking for just a rock star director of growth. And we've spoken to so many talented people. But for our type of business, we really need a unique thinker. Like we're not just an e-commerce, you know, standard cookie cutter playbook. And so we've got offline channels and online channels and referrals and you know, things that folks do in industry that is very different than other businesses and finding someone who can really think uniquely about growth is really challenging. And the exceptional candidates are unbelievably oversubscribed right now. So that's been a challenging one. And then of course, incredible software engineers are always unicorn, rare resources, folks that we're always thrilled and lucky to have on our team as well. Um, so those are a couple that come to mind, but yeah, every hire is so critical actually. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about the founders I've talked to who are everyone, everyone at like a venture backed startup is dealing with the same issues of hiring and you're competing with the likes of big companies where they have options at that, but you have a mission and equity and your assets as a smaller uh, or venture backed at an earlier stage in like Google and Facebook, for instance, everyone's going through that same type of thing. And I've heard 
some creative ways. Some people are hiring internationally, more so focused on oh, that. Yeah. One person has a background. They're hiring. They're like, they moved their headquarters to like South America. There, he. I think the guy has a background there, so he ended up moving the whole company there. He's like, well, it's we can amazing. do this and like source engineers from like South America, and we're gonna crush it that way. I'm like that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And like everyone's trying to think different on that spectrum. So I'm always curious as to how founders are thinking about it because it's so challenging. Yeah, I mean, one thing we've been uh exploring just from an idea standpoint is could we move to a four-day work week as a venture-backed company at our stage and like would that be possible and how to do that anyways it's early days it's something we're noodling on but i mean the war on talent is real the war on lifestyle is real and so you know things like that can give a really differential edge and and or something freaking I think everyone on the team would really like, but it's just a, that type of thing has a real tension, right? Um, I have to double yeah. click on that. I, I literally, okay. So today I, we have a newsletter at Vitalize. We're, we're focused on the future of work. So we invest in future work companies at pre-seed and oh, seed. Cool. And so we're always thinking about work. And so today leading an article on is the four day work week, is it overblown? It's gotten a lot of hype. We've seen companies like Bolt and a few others, like big notable ones do four, four day work week. So I think Signify just did a, yeah. So as the CEO, as running this company, what are you thinking about in terms of that four-day four day week? Like, what are some thoughts that come to mind or, like, you know, pros, cons, et cetera? I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, pros, retention, uh, culture, uh, talent attraction, cons, uh, top-line revenue and investor stress. Uh, <laughs> is, that the, <laughs> is that the sound bite? That works. Um, that works. <laughs> It's it's in that range. I, I think I think the more reasonably ultimately the reason why we're thinking about this and looking at it rather hard is just generally wanting to create like a really great sustainable place for our team. And actually healthcare services is exhausting. I mean, you're really on you're caring for others, which is wonderful, but also can be rather draining for individuals. And we want to create sustainability in our business and with our team. And so that, that's really the focus. I think the fact that other companies have been able to pull this off successfully just means that it's possible and we should be able to figure out how to do that. So it creates the possibility of that. I know we're almost out of time, Megan, but what makes, I know we've kind of talked about a lot of different things, but what makes Uniform Teeth stand out, special, and why you're going to ultimately get to where you want to get to? Oh, gosh. I think we have to just give a nod to our incredible engineering product and design team and our amazing technology. Um, One thing we don't talk about a lot is we actually have a bunch of really amazing patents on how teeth move. And it's just so impressive and a really incredible software stack for our phase and stage. Like It is how orthodontic care should and will be delivered in the future. That's so exciting. Where's the best place for people to learn more, connect with you as well if they'd like to? Um, I, <laughs> uh, let's see, I'm just laughing because I'm totally an introvert. Um, and so I try to <laughs> so like, don't connect with Megan. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, not, a, not at all. Probably LinkedIn is a good one right now. Um, Instagram, I keep for mainly personal reasons, but LinkedIn, I'm always happy to chat and certainly for fellow founders, always happy to, to be helpful or, or vice versa. Megan, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, 
find just go grind on instagram and twitter at just go grind you can find me on twitter at justin gordon 212 find me on instagram justin gordon 8 thank you so much for listening have a great day